Last week, we spoke about the Word. We looked in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. And um, effectively, what I wanted us to get out of this is that when it comes to God's Word and His purposes, that He cannot fail in this. Even if we find ourselves at times in life where we might question it, let us be reminded by others, let us be reminded by God's Word uh, itself that um, He will not fail in accomplishing the the purposes that He has put forward. Um, And as we gather together and... Uh, like this morning and participate in the studying of God's Word um, together, there is a grace that comes to us uh, by way of this kind of mutual sharing in the Word. Today, we're going to be talking about baptism, and we're going to look in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, to do this. Um, For me to stay on track, there's going to have to be a lot of places here that I'm going to see and just have to pass over, um, which is unfortunate in some regards, but we, um, I'm I'm, uh, determined that uh, we will make good time on on this last half here. Um, If you have not um, and you want a deeper dive into Romans chapter 6, I would encourage you to go back to the podcast. I preached through Romans. I mean, it's been a long time now. Um, And uh, we spent um, a year, about 58 um, sermons in total going through the book of Romans. So um, find chapter 6 in that and uh, you can get a a deeper dive. We're not going to be able to cover all of those details today. Today what I want us to look at specifically in regards to baptism is... Baptism in the sense of like kind of following this theme of means of grace within the church. How is baptism um, effectively another way and us as a community of believers witnessing baptism, a way of God pouring out more grace upon us, not only in your baptism, but in the baptism of others. So like as, as we study through this, I want that to be kind of the focus that you're thinking about. So as, so I'm thinking, even as I'm preparing to teach this, about how many uh, young children we've had over the last year or so that have professed faith in Christ and have followed through in baptism. And I don't know, I hope, this is something, I don't know, and I can't say for certain that all of you feel this way, but I certainly hope so, and when we see the next generation, God working in them, and then following through in baptism before all of us, making this profession of faith, that it is, an, that it is the highest form of encouragement to you as you witness it, as in, in, in some way you participate in this by being witnesses to the fact that the work that God began, He's continued, and He has done so from generation to generation to generation to our own, and that He will continue. And when we see baptisms take place, it ought to encourage us that we recognize that God is and continues to work 
to redeem his bride. So, um, kind of first and foremost, when we think about baptism, especially like um, as the as the participants witnessing the baptisms, let us, when we see a baptism, reflect on what this means. Right? Like as we, as you see someone baptized, it's not just for them that they are baptized, but there is a collective means of grace where God pours out His grace as a reminder to you and to me as we witness it that He continues the work that He set out and that He will complete that work. Um, as we look in Romans chapter 6, as, as we reflect on Romans chapter 6 and consider that, like, I hope that we remember this the next time that we witness a baptism, that it reminds us of the truths that we see here in chapter 6 and encourages us and is uh, a means of grace to us um, that if we find ourselves living life in a way that doesn't reflect the reality of what we ourselves have been participants in, that it would uh, serve as a form of correction for us. So, Right, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Or we continue in sin that grace may abound. Again, this is hard for me not to <laughs> rewind way back. So as we look at this text, um, one of the things that we're going to see come up in regards to baptism is this baptism being a reminder to us when we consider when we consider the grace that God's given to us and then stepping into 6-1 and because of that grace like are we to continue in sin that grace might abound this uh, picture of baptism is given to us so that we can reflect on what baptism means and then it encourage us not to grow lax and lazy in grace, right? Not to think, well, we've made it, and now the sin that abounds is covered anyways, but that we would be reminded of who we are and where we are and whose we are uh, as we reflect on baptism, okay? So by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized or we were buried therefore by him or with him by baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So as we reflect on baptism, as we witness others be baptized. Let us reflect on what that means for us and our walk and what, what it means for that individual and in their walk. We've been called to something higher and baptism is a constant reminder to us of that thing that we're called to that is higher than the way that we walked before. We might walk in newness of life. So when we see baptisms, let us not think let us not 
I, I pray that it would never be a common, like, that it would feel common and normal and regular to us. That as we reflect on baptism, as we see God moving in lives and that making itself known within the church by way of baptism, that we would reflect on the miracle that has to take place for us to find ourselves witnessing baptisms. That there was, an, that there was a miraculous event... Um, that occurred for that individual to then find themselves there where they are being baptized. And, and as a result of that, uh, we are to be reminded ourselves of the life and the way that we ought to walk, and we are to encourage them to continue walking in that same means, that same newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him in a death-like his, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So as we reflect on baptism, this is another element that comes out of this. As we, as we see them raised from the water into new life, this is also a picture for us of a future hope that we have of resurrection life. So as we, as we enjoy others being baptized and being able to witness God working in this, we should reflect on the new, the new life, the new way of living that we should all be encouraging one another to walk in. And then we should be encouraging one another as well in the hope that that picture paints for us. That we don't go into the water. We don't go into the grave to stay there. But there is newness that comes up. And there is a pointing towards the final raising of each and every one of us from the grave. So we can, we can be reminded of that hope as we witness uh, baptisms taking place. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin again. Like as He brings, as he brings forward this picture of baptism, and, and, and if you continue kind of through this, He's using this to remind us. It's a reminder. He's using this so that we can reflect on the life that we're living and who we actually are in Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. So as you watch, as you yourselves have been baptized, and as you reflect on others being baptized, as we preach this gospel, as God works faithfully as He's done, and others come to believe, and they follow through in baptism, and we find ourselves witnessing these baptisms taking place. Let it be a reminder to us. Let it be a way that God's grace continues pouring out to us that it reminds us that we're dead to who we were and raised in a new life to Him. Not to continue walking as though we were slaves to the sins that you were enslaved to before, but you are not enslaved to now. You've died to those sins, and you see a picture of that in baptism. You've died to that old way of living. You've died to sin. That thing that you were is dead, and you've been raised together in Christ. We see this picture, not to be re-enslaved to sin, but to walk in a new way. 
And when we see baptisms take place, this should be a reminder to us. When we reflect on baptism generally and the importance of baptism, um, it is an important thing that the church does because it reminds us and it says to the world as well um, that we have a hope in something greater and that we are dead to who we were and alive in Christ. Now, verse 8, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So as we reflect on baptism, as we consider what it is that we're seeing, the picture that's being painted each and every time that a baptism is done um, to a new believer, uh, let us reflect on where we came from, who we were, who He saved us from, what He saved us from, the life that He saved us from. Let us reflect on the life that He has given to us in Christ Jesus. Let us rejoice with the One who has, who was astray and who was lost, who has now been brought home amongst His brothers and sisters or her brothers and sisters. And let us consider, as we see baptism, let us consider ourselves that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And as we consider that, let it be a reminder to us. I'm going to read verse 12 here, um, and then we'll kind of uh, wrap this particular piece up. So as we, and I don't know that we necessarily do this often. I think when we see baptisms, oftentimes we, we are rejoicing for the individual and, and what has taken place in their life, but I don't know that we necessarily oftentimes think collectively on this or like think about as believers what we're witnessing being a reminder to us of what we've also taken part in. Um, let me let me put it like let me put it like this. Um, it, how many how many in here have been saved for like only a week? Again, only a week, people. Okay, um, a year, less than a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six, ten. More than 10? 15? Raise your hands. Y'all have been more than 15, everybody in here? Okay, then you can all relate to this. Do you remember what it was like when you first believed? Do you? Do you remember how you felt when you first believed? Do you? Do you feel like that now? 
Not always. The fact that we get to witness others coming to faith, reminding us of the journey that we ourselves are on, God is demonstrating a grace to us to remind us. Be reminded. Be reminded. And in that, in that, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Like one of the key elements of reflecting on that way that you felt then, right? That, that, that newness that was there, but that you, you felt well acquainted with the freedom that happened because you were days from it or weeks from it. Right? And then as you grow walking in this, oftentimes life hits you in the face and you can have yourself like pushed again, caring and concerning about things that weren't important to you after conversion. But now they've found their way back in or maybe you find yourself stumbling over things that maybe you felt more free of in that moment. And here's what I want to here's what I want to say to you. It was you you did not feel more free in that moment because of an emotional high. You are no less free today than you were the moment that you were raised up from those waters. Okay? Now, when we witness baptism, let it remind us of that. Let it remind us of that. Let it cause us to reflect upon our first love. And in so doing, um, it will help us not to allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies because we will be reminded that we are not slaves to that thing. You were slaves to that thing. Right? You were slaves. You were all slaves to the passions and desires of the flesh. But you died with Christ. You were raised to new life, called to live in a new way. Be reminded of that when you see baptisms take place. Can you ask the question? Yeah. You didn't mean like when we got if we if we have got baptized, right? Yeah, I'm just well if if an individual is saved, that individual should follow through in baptism. I, I would like like um Well it's just okay, so I got saved twenty four years ago. Yeah. But um I didn't get baptized till um let's see, almost ten years ago. Yeah. So but Earlier. Yes, your salvation is your salvation is not tied to your baptism, no. right? So yeah. uh, I, I want us to be I want us to be clear there. Had had your had you passed from this life to the next after true believing faith, God breathing life into you, um, you were sealed and His. There's a significant reason um, that that I think baptism like 
anytime, this is one of those things, and I think sometimes in a Baptist church we find this, these texts to be somewhat uncomfortable um, because uh, whenever anybody asks, like, what must I do to be saved, like, the, like, believe and be baptized is almost, it may actually be literally every time you get this, like, like co-command to, like, believe and be baptized. Um, baptism is that declaration. Right, like it is a declaration. Now, it's not the end of a declaration, but it's it is the first of many declarations. Right, like each and every moment we should be living that type of declaration. It is a, it is a stepping forward into the world, proclaiming, "I am not who I was." Right. right? So, what do you think Yeah, no, no, no. This is a good. This is a good well, question. Because, yeah, like, this. I, I go to, I'm curious. Thank you. Yeah. I go to a. a no, I go to a women's group, and we have a lot of. Um, I'll tell you this before. A lot of not uh, different races, and they're all Christian. Mm-hmm. And they're all Christian. And um, thanks to the sound doctor teaching here, I'm able. I'm able to do that. Yeah. Ten years ago, I'd have been all over the place. But I'm not really. Uh, I'm able to do that now. But um, so, a lot of the women and. I like got baptized with my women's group. Yeah. Um, my friend really needed me to be there with her, but like, um, I did it again. Yeah. It, it is a so. I would say yes and amen. Um, if you were to if you were to be baptized once a week for the rest of your life, there's there's no point at which somebody can say, well, don't be baptized. Like, there is a public. This is a public professing. Right. This is a public professing. Um, it is it is not as though when you were baptized, you somehow became more saved. Right. So that window of time in between. So there is a sanctifying that happens in the mind where God like reve- God revealed to you at a moment like you were saved, but you didn't fall through. In bapt- and at that moment, the Holy Spirit convicts you and pushes you into that direction for that like public facing proclamation of what has taken place in your life. Um, and there are individuals who over the course of course of life may feel like they want to be baptized again to like restate that commitment to that. They're, that is perfectly okay. Um, we would differentiate what happens um, at the moment of conversion from the public profession. Um, and I would and I would go so far as to say is each and every day the way that you live your life is that confession, right? Um, there is a there a, an element of what is demonstrated in baptism is a, again a declaration of the world that I am something new. If you de- declare to the world in baptism that you are something new, and then the rest of your life you live as though you're not something new. Like that, like that was simply a singular moment where you made, like, but there was no evidence in your life. Like that would again would be like demonstrating that it is the Holy Spirit that breathes new life into us, and this is what we're saying happened when we are baptized. We're saying that God came to me, that He made Himself known to me. The gospel was preached, and I believed. 
What must I do then? Believe, be baptized. And don't stop proclaiming. Don't stop proclaiming. It doesn't matter where you're baptized. Like, uh, a lot of people go yes. to Israel. Yeah. You know, one of my friends just went to Israel. And, and that's, she didn't get to be baptized in the Jordan. Yeah. Because it's actually at a place where it's kind of dangerous yeah. to do it now, where Jesus was actually baptized. But um, and some people actually did go and, and do it. Anyway, I just thought about that, the baptism, and, like, you really wanted to, like, do it like Jesus did. Yeah, and that and yes, if you if there were if there was some so like in all in all of this in all of this, understand what that this is. This is this proclamation of a spiritual event, right? Um, So like, I would also go so far as to say is that that if you travel to the Jordan and are baptized in it and you're baptized and you you come up and you don't feel any more special or holy, um, not a surprise. No. <laughs> okay, like, it's, it's one of those things, like, you should not be looking towards baptism itself as something that is going to awaken your soul, right? Now, we ought to reflect on baptism, as we see in the text, so that the spirit that is within us is stirred by, Right? But if a person were to not be a believer, they could reflect on baptism all they wanted, and they could be dunked in the water as many times as they wanted. Um, and the, the proclamation that they would be making would be a false one. Like, you can't say that he raised you from death to life if he did not raise you from death to life. That would, that would be going through some motions, right? Um, so I don't think we would ever encourage someone to be baptized simply for the sake of being baptized. We would not say to someone that you need to be baptized more than once. Like it wouldn't be a necessity that like every 10 years or every that you have to go through this process again. If an individual felt strongly about being baptized, like the spirit of God is working in them that they that they should, then I would encourage them to. Um, I would I would say I would say if you have if you are a believer and you've gone through believer's baptism that there is not a necessity to go through it a second time. Um, does that answer your question or help? A lot of uh-huh. a lot of um, what hinges on a person's true belief in the security of the believer in Christ would yeah. be so many people believe that they can be saved and lost yeah. later. And I think that's... Yes. Um, so that's, there's an impo- that's an yeah. a very important point to, point to make. Is that if your baptism is... If your second, third, fourth, fifth baptisms are linked to this false understanding that you have lost something, then I would... I would encourage the, any individual because that happens. That is a like an extremely common like I get, need to get rebaptized because I got lost. Mm-hmm. Um, if he calls you, he keeps you, he completes the work that he began in you. Um, you might have found yourself being ignorant and foolish in the way that you were living, and find yourself <laughs> caught up in a host of sin and immorality. The Holy Spirit 
that dwells in you, when you come in contact with the Word, says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. And then the Holy Spirit within you says, yes and amen. He does not say you were lost and now you need to go through this process again. I think it's also important to understand though that it's possible you may not have... That is a possibility too. I was baptized twice. I was baptized at six years old because a young teenage boy was preaching his first sermon and I was a preacher's kid and I saw him up there and he preached about hell. And I was like, the only thing, I I just kept looking around, somebody's going to get saved here. You know, because I was a preacher's kid, I knew all the answers. And I thought, well, it might as well be me. Nobody else is going for it. And that is literally what my little six-year-old brain was thinking. And then at 10 years old, true conviction took place in my life. And I was, you know, that first time I was baptized in a creek. And then my second time was at the Old Mount Carmel Baptistry. And I just, you know, like, that's when I knew. This is not an uncommon... Yes, and that and that there's a means of grace in that, right? Like there is like the sharing in and reminding one another of the great work that has happened to us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, and I, I won't s- stay on this too long, but, like, I, I will confirm a similar type of wor- of working out of the Spirit um, in, in my life. Like, I'm going to give you a very quick time frame. Um, so I was young. We were at Mount Philadelphia. Um, it was a VBS. Um, I wanted to know Jesus. Um, my parents took me. I can't remember the pastor's name at the time. Um, Marlon. Um, we talked, uh, was baptized, um, found myself as a teenager, not living that life, found myself at Mount Carmel. Um, God convicted me. I was, I was saved, okay, so (laughs) saved, baptized, saved, baptized, um, still, even after that found myself in certain areas of life like struggling and having moments to myself where I was like, Lord, am I even, like, am I, like, are you going to work? Like, and then um, went to a youth conference, Paul Washer preached, and he was talking to me. <laughs> it was that way. Um, and there was, a, there was a thing that happened in that moment that, like, I can look back on and I can say, was that salvation or was that sanctification? And I have a hard time pointing, putting a finger on it. 
Um, I was not baptized after that one. Um, uh, and to this day, don't feel convicted to be baptized after that one. Um, you might find yourself in that situation. The working of God in the heart of the sinner to convert them. Um, I think sometimes we think it's a one-step process. I think that God plants seeds, water seeds, and that the playing out of, of his redemption for his people sometimes looks muddied and complex. Um, if, if ever in doubt, um, pray, read the scriptures, follow the scriptures. Um, if you feel convicted that you, that you should follow through in baptism after one of those like, subsequent moments, do so. Like, follow the Spirit's guide. Um, the bell rang. We've got 10 minutes and not sufficient time to cover the Lord's Supper, but we're going to touch on it really quickly. Um, and then we're doing the Lord's Supper in here. And I'm, am I, Dustin, am I leading that thing? I'm, okay, so uh, just making just making sure. Um, so you'll get you'll get some of this twice, maybe. Um, so let's look in Matthew. I'm gonna touch in Matthew really quickly. Um, Matthew chapter 26. Um, we're gonna be focusing really quickly on verse 26 through verse 29. But I want to look at one verse just a little above this before we do because this this is something that like I consider whenever I'm thinking about this and I'm con- I'm considering like the Lord's Supper it as a means of grace to us and how we should reflect on it um, so let's look at verse 20 first when the e- when it was evening he reclined at the table with the 12th uh, then it goes into the betrayal stuff but I want to think about that for a second because when we do what we're going to do in here it's pretty formalized um the way that we approach the lord's supper is pretty formalized um i think we do it out of necessity um for for just the distribution of the the um the elements there um but when i think about the first lord's supper it causes me to reflect on the supper that we're going to have in heaven with him after his return. Um, and there's something about this reclining back that like strikes me. Um, like the nature of which like Jesus was just chilling with the guys. He just leans back and he's having this conversation with them. And I think about when we are with Christ and we are... That it's not going to be this, like, we feel it super formal, super rigid, like the supper that we hope for in His return um, is, is one in which He will recline back just to be with us, just to have a moment with us. Like, He's reclining with us. I think about that, um, what it must have been like for these men who uh, God graced with this, these special moments uh, heavy burdens afterwards, but certainly special moments to sit at the table with Jesus and Jesus literally just like reclining back and having a conversation with them, knowing what was coming, right? He knew what was coming um, and he was preparing them for it, but he's just, he's present in that moment. Uh, then verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessed it, 
broke it and gave it to the disciples. Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my body, or this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As, as we reflect, there's a, we'll, we'll come back to this next week, but there's a couple of things that I want us to think about when think about over the course of this week and as we participate in the Lord's Supper, the things that we should reflect on and see. One, I think we should reflect on this statement. Like, Jesus is with them and then He's making a promise to them in this. Like this taking of His body, taking of the blood. He lays forward a promise of a future moment where they will do this after this thing has been fully completed. Like, that's what he's saying in verse 29. He's like, I'm not going to drink this again until that day comes. And in, in so doing, he's not saying that he will never have it again. He's laying out a promise that just as we are enjoying this moment today, he's telling them this moment will come again in my Father's kingdom, and it will be a celebration on that day. A um, couple of things to think about, and we'll wrap with this. Um, when we consider the Lord's Supper, when we consider what we're doing there, there are four elements or four things that I want us to consider and reflect on as, as a means of grace to us to continue being encouraged by uh, this moment. One is that when, we come, when you come and eat back here later, um, if Dustin preaches long enough, you're going to be what? Hungry. And if you're hungry, you come with an appetite. Do you have an appetite for spiritual things? Do you have an appetite? So when we consider this Lord's Supper, I want us to consider how is your spiritual appetite? Second, uh, Dustin preached a long message. You're hungry. You come back here. Someone sits a plate down in front of you. You're full. Are you? What must you do? You've got to eat it. Like there's an application of this that's put forward to you. So you have to have an appetite, but just being hungry for spiritual things does nothing. You have to apply it. Are you in His Word? Are you in fellowship with other believers? When we, can, when we partake in the Lord's Supper, let it remind us of these types of things. Another, how many of you hate eating? Um, probably not. Like, eating is something when you, there's a delight in it. I often call it, it's a form of entertainment. And some, <laughs> some of us more than others love that form of entertainment. Um, so you must delight in it. Do you find yourself delighting in spiritual things? And then another thing, um, what happens if you, if you don't eat? You will die. Not only is it a thing that we can delight in, not, not only is it a thing that we apply, but if we don't, we find ourselves malnourished and dying. Okay? So when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to spiritual things, do you find yourself being nourished by it? If you're not applying it, you will not. Right? If you're not applying it, you will not. So um, we'll end with this. 
Uh, when we consider the Lord's Supper, let us consider that one day we will sit at a table with Jesus and He will pass it to us. Like that's a, that's a real reality. There will be a day that you are sitting across from Jesus, leaning back at the table, just being present in the moment. Just being present in the moment. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, let it remind us of that hope. That He's not left us here just to flounder, but that His will is being worked out and that one day we will recline at the table with Jesus. And then let us consider our spiritual appetite, whether or not we're applying this, whether or not we're consuming it, eating it. Uh, Let us consider our delight for it. Um, I doubt any of us are spiritual gluttons to where you're so stuffed you can't handle anymore. Um, I think some of us probably find ourselves filling that spiritual element with other things so we we feel when we come to eat meat that we can't eat enough of it. Like it's too much. Um, Give me, you know, five minutes of this and I'll be good. I don't need much more. Um, Where is your delight? Do you delight in those spiritual things? And if you do... If you have an appetite for it, if you delight in it, if you participate in that, like if there's an application of it, then you will find yourself spiritually nourished. If you find yourself anything other than that, if you find yourself malnourished, uh, reflect on that, repent of that, um, and let the Lord's Supper be a reminder of those things to us. And we proclaim as well in this uh, till the day that He, till the day that He returns that he gave his body for us and he gave his blood for us and we do that till the day that he comes back and we recline at the table with him what a what a great thought that is let's pray